0: Hey guys, thanks for tuning in to episode 43 of Sheer Crime. I'm Amy. And I'm Kenzie. Today we digest another case from the series Accused, Guilty or Innocent, currently on Hulu. This story is on Danita Tutt of Fort Worth, Texas. When her son Colby is born three months premature and with a bucket full of health problems, she embarks on a journey no mother plans for her new bundle of joy. By the time Colby turns 15, he will have undergone 17 surgeries, mostly on his gastrointestinal tract. But at some point, doctors no longer see the young boy as curable and instead focus the family on admitting the inevitable and turning him over to hospice in preparation for his passing. It's at this time his mother, Danita, is accused of trying to starve her own son to death and may have even conned his previous doctors into performing unnecessary surgeries on the boy. It all comes down to a jury of her peers deciding on whether this frantic woman was being a protective mother or attempting to murder her own son. on a monday monday (laughs) yeah what is this this is so weird it's so random but i gotta say i'm i'm liking the no makeup monday look here we have going on (laughs) this is it's the monday after halloween you guys oh
1: my gosh yes too much i'm exhausted this weekend was so busy there was so much stuff we did all weekend long birthday parties trunk or treat trick-or-treat you know walking around it was freezing cold here walking around we did not go very far but we got a ton of candy for the kids yes and we saw so many trick-or-treaters out like it was so nice because it I feel like it's been so long since we've actually seen kids out and about trick-or-treating and a lot of people too so it was wonderful but I'm tired
0: (laughs) well what did you guys all dress up as?
1: We went as characters from The Office. Ooh. Yes. This was um, actually my daughter's idea, not mine. Stop it. So I went as Pam. Um, my husband, Jared, went as Dwight. Peyton went as Angela. And then um, our son, Sawyer, went as Michael Scott.
0: That's awesome. <laughs> I love it. It was so fun. What, what
1: did Kaylin go as?
0: So Kaylin went as, she's of course, you know, a teenager. Yes. So she's not going to play into our our plans she had plans with of course friends. of course so they went as frat boys and oh i love it yes yeah, so it was four girls they wore these like oversized like button-up shirts backward hats and they yeah. walked around with solo cups <laughs> it was it was pretty good um danny and i didn't dress up for actual halloween because we weren't going out anywhere yeah. with gabriel yeah um, we just handed out candy but we did go to a party on saturday night where we dressed up nice and we dressed up as um ice ice baby
1: Oh, yes. Yeah. Vanilla ice. Yes, yes.
0: Yes. So we just each wore a shirt that said ice on it and carried around a baby. Yeah. Perfect. It was easy. It was quick. We didn't have to put a lot of thought into it. It's clever. I didn't it's have cute. to lose any weight for it. Yes. It was perfect. It's like the one non-slutty Halloween costume I could have thought. Yes,
1: of. exactly. That's perfect. That's perfect. Yeah. It was great. Well, it's been a little while since we've been able to record. So I'm very excited to record this one today. Yeah. Yeah. Last week up crazy it was it's just been so busy there's so much things going on every single day my days are just like completely planned out by the hour because I need to know where I need to go at what time it's just it's been nuts but we're making it work
0: yeah yeah (laughs) (laughs) my response ew
1: yes it is very ew (laughs) let me tell you
0: (laughs) well I ended up actually providing the drink for tonight you had talked to me about these on a on an episode back yeah. when I was like newly pregnant. Uh, you had brought up the high noon sun sips, the vodka and soda like drinks. Are, mm-hmm. are they seltzers? They're kind of a yeah, seltzer. yeah, they're a
1: seltzer. I would say, but they're a little different. They're not a different. as seltzery.
0: Yeah. So
1: yeah, it, it's it's different, but they're good.
0: Yeah, I like them a lot. Um, I bought the like variety pack, mm-hmm. and the only two that I had left that were of the same flavor were the grapefruit so that's what we're going with today we're doing the grapefruit high noon sunsips very exciting yeah all right so with that let's pop our tops
1: let's do it that was a really good one that was good
0: (laughs) i think you heard every part of the tab (laughs) all right let's try it oh oh i like that a lot that tastes good i i'm not gonna lie I didn't drink this on Saturday because I was afraid I wasn't going to like it. And I love grapefruit. So, like, don't get me wrong. Sure. But I've tried some of the grapefruit beers in the past, and they're not my favorite. So I was a little afraid I wasn't going to like this. Oh, no, I like this. This is good. Yeah. Good choice. Yeah. Thank you. Um, You've also totally got me hooked on that wine. I, I know. have bought it every single week <laughs> for the past, like, four <laughs> weeks.
1: Yes.
0: So I've got a bottle right now chilling in my fridge.
1: Oh, I know. So do I. <laughs> It's great. It's a really, really good wine.
0: Oh my gosh, it's so good.
1: All thanks to the server at Olive Garden who mentioned it to us a couple years ago.
0: All hail the Olive Garden (laughs) server. Okay, let's get the show on the road and why don't you start us off with this week's case? Sounds great.
1: So this week we are covering another episode on the Accused Guilty or Innocent series on Danita Tut. It is called Attempted Murder or Protective Mother.
0: Ooh. Very suspenseful. And honestly, I mean, I think we've all been there. Yes.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Now, this episode opens up with some on-screen text that states, Every three seconds in the United States, someone is arrested. This series follows people accused of serious crimes. We start off with a news reporter and we hear the reporter saying, and I quote, A Cleburne woman faces allegations of medical child abuse, including lying about her son's symptoms, leading doctors to perform unnecessary surgeries. She is also accused of starving her 13-year-old son, Colby, who she says has been sick since birth. Police have revealed that a casket and a headstone for Colby had been purchased by the family. End quote. I mean, that seems pretty damning. Oh my gosh, immediately. Immediately. I mean, this right. is the first thing we're hearing when this documentary starts. And I'm like, say what? I'm like, guilty. They are what? They're buying a casket and a headstone before their son is even dead yet? Like, what? what is going on here? Yeah, and I don't
0: know. May, am I stupid? I thought, like, headstones kind of take a while. Am I dumb? Or is it that everybody that I've known in my family has just been too poor to get one right away?
1: I would think so. I thought
0: they took a while. Yeah,
1: I would think they they have to take a while. Like if you're getting a headstone, I mean, it's like carving into stone. Okay. So it's definitely something that would take some time. Now we don't know much context yet at the beginning, but maybe they they knew their son was going to die, and maybe they wanted to like just have plans
0: ready to go. So it wasn't such for, like sticker shock. Yes, at for the time
1: money purchases that kind of thing, but it was still very jaw dropping hearing that report. Yeah, yeah. We meet Terry Moore. She's the lead defense attorney, and she's basically the main person that talks throughout this whole mm-hmm. documentary. And she tells us that all of the allegations against the mother are in the indictment. The first two counts are for fabricating symptoms in order to get doctors to perform surgeries on her son. The third count was for starving Colby, and account four is for attempted murder. Dun, dun, dun. We see Danita Tut, who is the accused mother... Watching a short home video of Colby Tut as a newborn who had been born three months premature. Very tiny.
0: Yeah, very small.
1: Very tiny. He looked very fragile. Yes. We get some more on screen. Texas states: Danita faces up to life in prison. She is currently out on $25,000 bail. We get to hear from Danita, and she's talking about her son, Colby. She's telling the documentary crew how badly she had wanted to hold her son, but she wasn't able to due to him being so premature. And when they were finally able to bring him home, he was on a heart machine and oxygen. Oh, my God, that would break my heart. Seriously. When seeing there,
0: someone so tiny.
1: All, yes, a tiny, tiny baby having to be on these machines and stuff. I can't imagine the heartache.
0: Well, and as a new mom, Right. Yeah. You've got enough to worry about, but right. then that on top of it, oh, my God. So stressful. So yeah.
1: stressful. Now, being only nine inches long, she had assumed that he was going to have problems as he aged, no matter what. Because,
0: yeah.
1: again, he's premature. There's a lot of things that can happen over a premature baby's lifespan just because they didn't fully develop yet. You right. know, so there's a lot of things that can that can go wrong. Yeah. She also mentioned that people constantly told them to, quote, prepare themselves, but she never wanted to give up. That is That's a, a weird thing to say. That is weird to say. I mean, there's a lot of premature babies all the time that are being born. All the time. And for people to say that, like, I don't know if they were referencing, like, doctors saying this, like, medical personnel, or if this was, like family members or friends or something because I'm like that is just such a really harsh thing to say to someone yeah I when think they're already was, going through struggles
0: right I think it was coming from the doctors which I mean I guess in a way yeah but maybe they didn't necessarily mean like that he's gonna die but like prepare yourself for all of the stuff that sure this poor kids' gonna have to how tough it's gonna be right.
1: We see some more on screen text that states over the last 15 years, Colby has been under constant medical supervision and has had 17 operations. Ugh. Danita comes back and says that Colby has heart issues, low bone density, kidney issues, gastro reflux disease. She goes on to say that he has to take a lot of medication to help him use the restroom because his GI doesn't work properly or the way that it should.
0: Yeah. I cannot. Imagine, no, like being somebody who struggles with constipation on a normal basis, and especially like even right yeah. now, still being postpartum, and right. like dealing with all that weird shit going back to where you know to where it should be. Right? I can't imagine having that in my every day. Oh gosh, I it's just a struggle. It's a daily struggle. There is nothing better than a giant shit. <laughs> there is nothing better. I'm I'm going on record saying. A poop, <laughs> number one, yes. number one.
1: Oh no, I know. I mean, it. Your stomach ache goes away. Your, you know,
0: your jeans fit better. You just
1: feel like
0: dancing. Yes, yes, yes.
1: You feel good. So yeah, that's it's tough. I can't imagine the struggle no.
0: every day. And you've seen like little babies that are like constipated and stuff too. Oh, like, it's the worst. Because they can't even tell you, but you yeah. can tell. Yeah, you know.
1: Yeah. Danita goes on to say that he would have to be on these medications for the rest of his life because it was never going to work properly. So to get that diagnosis, just to know that like these everyday struggles that you have to deal with is going to be forever. Oh my gosh, that is daunting. Uh, yeah. That is a hard thing I think to even come to terms with, Especially to even if believe
0: something like that. That is supposed to happen. Just your body's supposed to be able to spell yeah. yep. waste like
1: naturally. Yes. Right. We get some more on-screen text that states, in 2015, Colby's stomach and colon issues worsened and he became dangerously malnourished. He had two surgeries to try and improve his condition. They were unsuccessful. Terry Moore comes back, our lead defense attorney, and she tells us that doctors had told her that they had done all they could and they were at the end of the road for Colby. They didn't have any more surgery options and they needed to refer him to hospice care. Oh, my gosh. I
0: can't even imagine.
1: Oh, my gosh. Like, all I
0: want is for my child to be able to poop. For a 13-year-old boy to be going into hospice care. And not having cancer. It's so weird. It's like the only time you ever hear about it.
1: Yeah. I was confused by that. I was confused that they would
0: immediately say that he was going to die from this. Like, why would he die from it? My thought, exactly, because... There are plenty of people out there who have like colostomy bags yeah. and all that stuff going on. They're still living. Yeah. Why was this different? Unless they're talking about the severe, like maybe it's to the point where his body isn't even soaking in nutrients. So he's basically, like, sure. failing to thrive.
1: Yeah, and his organs are starting to shut down or something. Right. They did not give us more context as yeah. to if this surgery didn't work, that meant there really was no other things. that Not to just fix it, but, like, this was literally just going to continue to get worse and worse and worse and end up killing him. Right. It was, it was very weird. I was, again, I don't know, like, medical stuff and why things are the way they are, but it just seems really weird that a 13-year-old boy
0: would be told that he needs to go to hospice care. I mean, he should have went to House, because Dr. House would have figured this shit out. (laughs) Right. (laughs) And thanks to him, I know medical stuff.
1: (laughs) Right. (laughs) We get some on-screen text that states, Danita is alleged to have starved and attempted to murder Colby during his time in hospice care. So this is where these charges are coming from. We're nine months to trial, and Danita is meeting with her attorney, Terry Moore. Terry knows that Danita has never been on trial for anything before and maybe has never even seen a courtroom in real life, but tells her that they are going to need to be strong in their defense. Absolutely. That would be also really hard because when you're the one on the stand or you're the one being accused of these things, people are going to come at you hard, especially the the prosecution. They want to make sure they win. So they're going to say, Horrible things about you, and
0: and they'll dig up anything yes. they possibly can to prove that you're not a good person,
1: right? Exactly.
0: That sometimes probably doesn't even have to do with the case to prove that you're not a good person.
1: Oh yeah, absolutely. They're they're going to go as far as they possibly can to win. Right. That's that's their their main goal here. Well, it it always is, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Both <laughs> sides want to win, obviously. But yeah, it, it it'll be tough for her, especially not really having a record and or being in this type of situation before. It's even more scary and intimidating. For sure. We get some on screen text that states: Danita's main accuser, Connie, is the owner of the hospice that cared for Colby. Terry starts reading Danita the affidavit by Connie. Quote: We determined that this child both deserved and could tolerate solid foods and fluids and had minimal reports of pain. His mother refused to have any food or drink brought to Colby, stating his eating would only,
0: quote, prolong the inevitable, end quote. So that sounds pretty damning. Yeah. When I I saw that and heard that, instantly I was like, oh, please, no. Please, no. Don't tell me a mother said that. Right. Danita
1: says that that is all wrong, though. Connie was the one who told her that statement. She explains that... She didn't even know what that meant until Connie told her. I kind of see that. it's now kind of like he said, she said, right? right? Mm -hmm. Because now Connie's saying that Danita said it, Danita's saying that it was actually Connie that said it. So it's like, what the hell is actually happening here? Who actually said this statement? And why did it make it all the way to court? Like, it's very, very confusing. Right. If it's true, obviously it is very serious. If this was actually happening and she was trying to starve her child. That is a very serious thing, but now it's, it's, it's very weird. It's very, very weird to to start this whole thing off. Terry continues with Connie's affidavit quote, prior to moving Colby to our suite mother and father purchased a casket headstone and made all the funeral arrangements for Colby end quote. Danita again says that they didn't know what to do. Everything they did was by the direction of Connie. So when Connie would tell them something, they would respond and, and do what she told them to do, is what Danita's telling all of us now.
0: And in all honesty, I believe that statement, and here's why. Danita's not been in this predicament before. Right. Connie's job is hospice. Right. Is taking care of people until they pass. Right. Connie would know, once it gets to this point, start buying this stuff up, start planning. Yeah. Because it's happening. Right. So I, that, I buy I it. I did too. Because I totally buy it.
1: Why wouldn't she listen to her? She's supposed to be the person that knows all about this and why you'd want to do that. You want to make sure it's all planned out. You know what's happening. So right. get it planned out ahead of time so you're not scrambling when, when the day actually does come.
0: Right. Well, and as a married woman, Danita, how likely is it that she's able to talk her husband into going and purchasing these things for their son who isn't that bad do you know what i mean right that would that doesn't make sense
1: right i totally did believe that statement too that all of this was on the direction from connie and that's why they did what they did
0: yeah i mean is it weird for me to say that if she would have been like a single mother i would have maybe thought that it was more not that she did it but it was more likely that she could have possibly been the one to have taken direction on all of that but Being a married person, I feel like it's very uncommon that you're going to get somebody who's completely just going to go with everything you say. Right. Does that make sense? Totally makes sense. Yes. Terry continues, quote, on
1: many well-documented occasions, the mother asked if there was just something we could give him to make him go to sleep and not wake up, end quote. Danita alleges that she didn't say that and all she was wanting to do was help her son not be in pain. She thinks they took everything she said out of context. Sure. Because that, again, just with his, like, scenario, to say something like that when that's not a readily available thing. Mm -hmm. There's just not a pill that people are able to legally give another human being that will make them fall asleep and never wake up again.
0: Yeah, we don't euthanize people.
1: That's not. I mean, some states are... You know, legal, if you are, I think, Oregon, I think there's one other state that you can go and have, like, assisted death and have it be your choice. Really? Yep. Um, that's why people who are terminally ill will move to Oregon so then they can make the plans themselves. You know, if they have, like, a non-curable brain tumor and they've only got three months to live, they want to do, you know, they want to go out on their own terms. on their own terms. You know, either way... They're gonna go, but it's not everywhere, and it definitely wasn't where they were. So, to have to say something like that, maybe it was taken out of context, and Connie was maybe overanalyzing. Or I mean, we learn a little bit more about this Connie figure, and she's a little sketchy to me too. I yeah, I don't know about her either.
0: Well, and for Danita's defense too, her son is in hospice. Hospice is not known for curing. Right. Hospice is for keeping people comfortable mm-hmm. and pain-free until the moment of death. Right. So if her son is still in pain, maybe she's asking for something to, right. like a sleeping pill that could, you know, like not not ever wake up type of a situation, but put him to sleep so that he doesn't have to sit there and keep Just feeling this.
1: help him rest.
0: Because that's what hospice is supposed to right. do. Right, right. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I get that. Absolutely.
1: Terry continues with the affidavit quote, if intervention by authorities is not instituted, it is my expert opinion that this child will die prematurely, end quote. She reiterates to Danita that Connie is going to come into that courtroom, get on the witness stand and tell the jury that his mother was trying to kill him. And Danita, she just can't even understand how she could be accused of this. It just does not make sense at all. And it completely destroyed her. She feels like someone keeps stabbing her in the heart repeatedly. And it's rough. It's rough. And there was a few things. And I think I, I do dive into this a little bit more later on. We see Danita and her emotions come out. Yep, a lot. It looks very fake to me. Some of it really does. Like the crying, you don't see tears. Yep. It's more sniffling, like, you know, like, it's it's weird. I mean, definitely watch this documentary so you kind of understand that while I do believe some of the things that she's saying, when she starts this these crying things, it's so, it seems so
0: forced and fake. It's very, very weird. They seem more like, do I dare say, they sound a little bit more like anxious fits to me. Yeah. Like, she gets overwhelmed. And she starts kind of like, yep, a thing. But she's and she's probably very like over. Well, I already said overwhelmed. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah. No, I, I get it. And maybe but there's that's no it. tears. Yeah. The, the no tears thing is very strange to me. Yeah. Why would you make like a crying sound when you don't have tears? Right. It just looks fake to me. So, OK, that doesn't make her guilty, obviously, but no. I just found it to be very odd.
0: We see some on-screen text that says Colby is now 15 and lives at home with Danita, Clint, and his younger brother, Colton. Danita has asked that her husband and sons are not filmed. So throughout this documentary, we do not hear from either Colby, Colton, and we don't hear from Clint until the very end. Right. Now, of course, Danita is worried that the jurors will be very recipient to the prosecution and that she won't get her fair trial. I mean, she's just a mother, Mm -hmm. right? She's not an expert on anything. And she's going up against a bunch of experts in the medical field.
1: And nine times out of 10, you're going down. Uh, Right. I mean, people believe medical personnel. That's why they have all these expert witnesses come in, because it gives their case so much credibility. Yep. And that's what jurors want to see and hear. Right. And that's why juries lean one side over the other because of these expert witnesses so I can't imagine being in that type of scenario like being in a courtroom having that pressure I I wouldn't make it I would fall into a pool on the floor like I just would not (laughs) be able to do it my anxiety (laughs) I couldn't do
0: it. <laughs> I would get extremely defensive, and there'd be a lot of F-words coming out. I'd, I'd I be found that. in contempt, yeah. probably, and I would look more guilty than I should because yeah. I would get overly defensive.
1: Yeah, I could see that with yeah. you, Amy. Yeah. yeah.
0: Now, Terry, of course, believes that Danita is absolutely innocent. She actually goes on to say that as a defense attorney, she would far more prefer to defend someone who is guilty over somebody who's not. Because it's horrible to have to defend an innocent person against somebody yeah. claiming that they're not.
1: Because injustice can happen then. Exactly. And you know it. there is a big possibility that it could happen. Right. Because if you think about it, when cases go to trial like this, the prosecution wins probably 80% of the time, if oh, yeah. not higher. Yeah. I mean, typically the state wins these cases, especially these kind of cases. Right. If they have this amount of evidence to even take it to court, Oh, the jury is going to is going to side with the prosecution and sometimes it's based off of what ifs. Right. What if she actually did do that? What if if we don't find her guilty? What if she tries to do it again? Or Yep,
0: she's got another There's son. always
1: that like what if in your head that uh, makes <laughs> makes it very, very scary. Yes.
0: We also meet Mike Ware. He's another one of Danita's defense attorneys. And he says that there's a lot of noise in the details of this case. He says that the jury needs to focus on the facts, and that's what they're going to try to make them do. Mm -hmm. Terry says that the issue with this is that she doesn't believe that this is an abuse case because it's not like this child was found with bruises or broken bones. And he doesn't seem to be mentally or emotionally abused either. And this whole time, he's been under the care of nurses and doctors in a hospital setting. So it's not like he was, like, at home, like, yeah. like Gypsy Rose, for example. Right. Coming in and out.
1: And where it was happening behind closed
0: doors. Where right. no
1: one was able to see this kind of stuff and see this behavior happening.
0: Right. It was right out in the open. And she goes on to say that if this was malnutrition, wouldn't that be on the hospital? Aren't you the ones starving him since you're the ones right, supposedly in charge of feeding him? For the counts of fictitious info for surgeries, she goes on to say what could this mother have possibly said to get a doctor to perform a surgery that was not necessary? I'm sorry. That's not how medicine works, no, right?
1: No, not at all. Not at all. Doctors are not going to perform something they don't think needs to be performed, especially if it's opening someone up type of surgery or like cutting into well, their body.
0: like. And and maybe, maybe you're right on that, but also they're not going to do it at the behest of a mother right 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 no like no. even if maybe they're like dirty doctor you know where they're going in and doing stuff that they're not supposed to be doing sure they're not going to do it because the mother told them to right that could get them in trouble right it, yeah
1: that doesn't happen
0: and you know of course god forbid you question medical personnel in any way shape or form right like you just don't go against what the medical yeah you professions can't. have to say yeah you can't Terry says that this is a great example of how they turn on you and turn a great mother into a criminal defendant. We meet Mark Thetford, Danita's father, and he says he honestly cannot believe that this whole thing is even going on. He says that he put in over 30 years with the Fort Worth Police Department as an investigator, and he says that investigation should be done from top to bottom. And how is somebody guilty for taking care of their children? he just doesn't see yeah. it right and he says later on that you know he's not looking at this as a this is my daughter and my grandson he looks at it with an investigative eye as well
1: i i found that very interesting that her dad did this kind of stuff and yeah. like he knows how it works and he he himself couldn't believe it so yeah. it It was very interesting. Like, oh, he would be an investigator. Kind of a nod to the
0: Casey Anthony case, right? Yeah, yeah, Yeah. for sure. Some more on-screen text says, The defense is examining the allegations of unnecessary surgeries. So we see Terry and Mike, and they're questioning how this could have even happened and why the doctors are saying that these were unnecessary. More on-screen text says, The defense is consulting a pediatric specialist to assess Colby's medical records. They meet at the home of Dr. Neil Spears, and he's an expert witness pediatrician. And he says he doesn't believe that the procedure of the ileostomy that was done to Colby was unnecessary. He actually says that it's a pretty simple procedure, usually done when all non-surgical interventions are exhausted for chronic constipation. So this is something that they're going to try everything they can first, and then they're going to try this ileostomy and they're basically bypassing the colon altogether if it isn't working and then they can reattach it later if it's functioning. Yeah. So it sounds like a fairly routine procedure. And he said that it was. And yeah. he said in this case even
1: looking at his history, he's like this is would would have been the next step. Yeah. He he actually did need to try to do this to see if this would help and see if this would fix something or make it more manageable for him or whatever. So he was also like this what sense. the hell yeah. like why what why is this in court again because if we're talking specifically about the ileostomy which they were they said that that was kind of the surgery that they didn't think was actually necessary for him he's right. like it actually totally was
0: yeah he says it, it seemed like a really logical medical progression yeah for, for this sure. type of a situation he says it's not risky it's not dangerous he says it can be messy Of course, because you're having to deal with bags of human waste, but it's not something that is done super rarely. Right. He also feels, as you said, that it was completely reasonable at the time in this situation. He says that as a parent, you can't make a surgeon do anything anyway. Right. He says they're required to justify each surgery that they do to their peers and to the insurance companies. So if it goes bad, they need to have all of that medical justification right. to protect their own asses in case they end up in court. Right. So you're right. not just gonna do surgeries willy nilly, right? Well, you don't wanna put your own self at risk being the doctor.
1: Right. It, medical justification is do a big deal. You go to school for a long time to be a doctor. Mm hmm. You don't want to mess that up no, or lose your license for whatever. Who knows what could happen, right? You would not do that just to please a mother.
0: Right. And you take a Hippocratic oath to do no harm. So if that's the case and these doctors are saying that she somehow conned them into doing these surgeries, I'm sorry. I think all of them should also be on trial. For sure. Right? I totally agree with that. Dr. Spears goes on to say that he doesn't see why this is a criminal case at all. He says that he sees the medical history as pretty typical for a premature baby, somebody with all of these issues. It doesn't seem out of context at all. Mike and Terry wish other doctors were as level headed and down to earth as Dr. Spears in this analysis of the medical records right. because he seems to, I mean, he seems pretty realistic about the whole situation. Terry says that Colby's primary issue was being able to eliminate waste, so the worst part had begun around August or September of 2015. On-screen text says that Colby had three surgeries within eight weeks to help him swallow, digest food, and eliminate waste, but they caused further complications. We see the flash of the outside of the Cook Children's Medical Center, and Terry tells us that this is where the family is told that Colby is now terminal. The family is stunned as they're told that he now needs to go to hospice.
1: Right. Yeah. Because again, this is, he has a like a colon issue. Right. Going poop. Like, he just has an issue with that. Why is this life-threatening? Right. Are they saying that the surgeries made it life-threatening for him now? Like, the aftermath of having those surgeries has made him, it just, I don't get it again. I'm, (laughs) I'm not a medical personnel. I don't know that kind of, I don't know the field very well, but it's so odd. It's weird. Why would he go from like, he's fine. This is an inconvenience in his life. Like it's horrible. And you know, he doesn't feel very well a lot of the time because of not being able to, to use the bathroom regularly to
0: dying. Right. Like, soon. That's quite a quite a leap. It's a huge leap. It's, it's so weird. Well, and the family is thinking, like, he's always survived everything else. Like, of course, there were, you know, issues that they would have to deal with later on, but this isn't something that they're used to hearing. Right. And they're used to being in the hospital. You know, he's had a ton of surgeries. Yeah. So this isn't his first rodeo. And we need to remember that in order to go to hospice... A doctor's prognosis of six months or less to live has to be determined. Mm-hmm. So it's not that all of a sudden his mom is like, well, it looks like we're sending him to hospice. A doctor has to say, yes, this is what's happening. Yes. Because yep. you are not going to live longer than six months.
1: We're now seven months to trial and we meet Karen Tut, who is Danita's mother-in-law. And she is meeting with Terry Danita's lawyer, to go over what she knows and prepare her for the trial because she's going to be on the stand. Terry brings up when doctors came in to tell the family that there was nothing else they could do for him and he would have to go into hospice care. Karen tells us that it was a complete shock to everyone. They could not believe that they were hearing this information. Like, again, kind of how I was feeling. Like, why? Why was this prognosis so random i feel if it just seemed very out of place yeah she explained that the staff at the hospital told them they had a plan they mentioned they could do the ileostomy but if that didn't work that they could take his colon out they never said that if this didn't work that they didn't have any other options that they were all out of options and this was kind of the end of the the road for him right She goes on to say that they kept telling them that this procedure would improve his life and fix his problems. So she was really confused because they originally said that the ileostomy would be the fix. She couldn't understand why a 13-year-old would need to go into hospice care. Again, I will say it over again. I don't get it. I don't get it either. Why? Why? It's so weird. It's very it is weird. so so weird. it it does seem like a little bit of malpractice to me. yeah. it kind of seems like misdiagnosis or yes or something. I, yeah. it's very weird. yep. Terry doesn't believe that Colby was ever terminal, but she did know he was sick. like right. he was sick, yeah that wasn't made up. but terminal she doesn't believe it. She feels that the injustice that was done to Danita was done by the doctors at Cook's Children's Hospital in Fort Worth, Texas. Because of them telling the family that there was nothing else they could do and that Colby was terminal, it's what brought this nightmare into Danita's life. We get some on-screen text that states, Under hospice care at home, Colby developed sepsis, a life-threatening blood infection. The hospice staff recommended he be moved to Ronald McDonald House to see out his final days.
0: Yikes. I know all about sepsis.
1: Oh, yeah. I I almost had it when I was pregnant with Sawyer.
0: Yeah. Because I that.
1: had uh, untreated bladder infection yep. that I did not know about. And normally I do, you know, because yep. it hurts to pee. and Yeah, you get your
0: symptoms. Yeah. you.
1: I always had the symptoms. But with Sawyer, they were, like, masked. So I didn't yep. have any symptoms. But I got, like, a high fever. Like, they thought it had gotten to my bloodstream that I was going to go septic. And, I mean, I was completely in shock because they're like oh let's let's just run a piss test really quick and see if there's anything abnormal there and sure enough i'm like holy crap it is it's it can ha- i mean it can kill you quickly uh-huh really really quickly because yep. if you think about it if it's in your
0: bloodstream that That's circulates through your body very going fast everywhere yes yep no my dad had an untreated urinary tract infection and went septic and ended up in the hospital for three months on oh life my support God. back in 2019 he oh got out God. a month before 2020 started so he lucked out on being able to have family around him sure 24 7 yeah he was on a ventilator for six weeks i think oh my God. he had a trach and everything i mean serious all, yeah it's serious oh it's yeah a big fucking deal
1: for sure Terry tells us that the Ronald McDonald House was located near the hospital so that the loved ones of the sick don't have to stay in a hotel room. Connie had told Danita that they would move Colby to the Ronald McDonald House and he could pass away there. We see some on-screen text that says during Colby's time in hospice, Danita is alleged to have starved him. Danita's attorneys bring her back to the Ronald McDonald house where all of these allegations occurred. I don't really know why they did that,
0: but they did. They brought her back there. I think they were getting uh, pictures and stuff to just kind of see what it was like. Sure. And maybe like if it's basically like a hotel, because if it was like a hotel and she was in charge of all of the food, then that would make sense. So I think they just kind of wanted to get an idea of how it operated. Yeah, that that was my impression. Well, when they got
1: there, Danita completely broke down. I think it was because of, you know, the emotions behind it. And like, this is where it stemmed from. Right. The situation she's in right now, it stemmed from this place. So it's it was probably rough for her again. And maybe a little PTSD.
0: For sure. From the situation.
1: Yep. Now, we see her reacting. Again, You kind of, it's kind of like she's hyperventilating a little bit. Mm-hmm. But no tears. So... Again, I don't know how to read her emotions, and maybe that's just how she is, but it was it was different. Mike Ware says that the family is a very close-knit family, so they are all witnesses to certain key conversations and exchanges of information that the state's witnesses may try to deny. Now, Danita's father said that they were down there every day, and Danita never denied Colby food. There was always food there for him to eat. And since he's been working in this field for a long time, he said he would have been the first person to jump on this if he actually suspected his daughter of doing these things that she's been charged with. He reiterates that Connie was the one who cut off the food and drinks to Colby, but Mark himself continued to bring him food and drinks. So he was like sneaking food in for him because... Danita's family is saying that Connie was the one that was doing all these things. And basically, she's making it seem like it was Danita that was doing all these things. On May 4th, Connie wanted to have a family meeting. She told the family that two weeks prior, she was positive that Colby was dying of sepsis, but somehow it miraculously disappeared. She went on to say that, quote, she did not know how this happened because Colby has not had a full course of antibiotics, end
0: quote. Okay. I mean, I kind of agree. They always tell you to finish your antibiotics. Right. I'd be interested to see how many he actually had. I'd be interested to see just how
1: septic he actually was. right? Because that doesn't just go away. You need
0: medication for that to go away. That is literally sewage in your blood. So, I oh,
1: this Connie fucking bitch.
0: This Connie
1: bitch. (laughs) I can't. She's the worst. I think she's 100% guilty of doing this. And she wanted to make sure that someone else took the rap for it because she probably started to see that things weren't weren't looking very well in her favor probably so she wanted to be the first one to say something about malnutrition or whatever it may be starvation of this
0: child yeah i could see that
1: their thought process was they had been told that their son and grandson was dying but now all of a sudden he was miraculously cured This is when Connie told him that they wanted all of them to leave so they could observe Colby alone for three days and nights. That seems weird. Fucking yes. In hospice. That seems
0: weird. Mm Why?
1: Why would you need to do that?
0: Yeah, I don't. I would not trust them. Nope. I don't trust it either. I I feel like that seems strange. Mark goes
1: on to say that they had left that day, but Danita and Clint ended up calling him. And told him that they just couldn't do it. That they wanted to go get their son since this was not a hospital and he was not being held there. They just, they probably got that weird feeling. Like, I don't feel right about this. Totally. We hear a recorded 911 phone call. 911, what's your emergency? We hear Connie. Quote, hi, my name is Connie. We have a child with severe malnutrition. According to the mother, he doesn't digest anything. She and her husband came back last night about 10 o'clock and picked him up and took him home. And she will not return any of our calls today. End quote. 911 dispatcher. What's the mother's name? Connie says, Danita.
0: Danita's mother-in-law, Karen, comes back and tells us that Danita had called her saying that there were two women at her front door and that she was thinking that it was CPS, Child Protective Services. Karen didn't really think it would be a big deal, though, since there was no abuse. You know, they figured that they would make the report, leave, and get back to them later on whatever the findings were, right? Mm-hmm. But suddenly, Colby's gone. He's taken by CPS.
1: Oh, my God. That has to be one of the worst nightmares for any parent. It, any good yeah. parent. Let me, let me rephrase that. CPS is is here for a reason. I mean, yep. <laughs> like, we need to have it because there are bad parents that should not be allowed to have their kids. Yep. That do neglect them. However, when you are a good parent and Ugh. these charges or allegations come up and they take your children, I could not deal with that. No. Absolutely
0: not. I would lose my fucking mind. Yeah, there's a, a podcast out there about this where a family, like you know how little kids fall and and take spills and and get hurt they brought him in and i want to say it was in texas actually really yeah and i don't know if it's in fort worth but i want to say it was in texas and they decided that the injury that the child had could not possibly have happened the way that the mother said it did and that all of a sudden they fabricated this whole story and they went like they fought for like months and months and months, maybe years, trying to get custody of their children back, all because like she had turned her back for one second and the baby fell. Could you imagine? Oh my God, no.
1: I it it honestly makes me sick to my stomach. It does make me sick too. Imagine someone coming into my house and taking my child. No. Or my children away from me because they thought I could have harmed them no. or something. You know, no. like I always get nervous when the kids have bumps on their faces or scra- <laughs> no. scratches or you know no. you just get very nervous especially if you're going to the doctor because I mean, yes, accidents happen. They, you know, kids have bruises on their legs and you know they they do fall and get hurt, but it is very nerve-wracking It is
0: because you don't you don't know what other people are going to assume. Yep. Oh, it's, I hate it. I know. <laughs> I, I really don't, hate it. I don't like it either. On-screen text says that in May 2016, Colby was removed by Child Protective Services, and a week later, Colton was also removed. We hear a TV report on the removal of the boys and now stating that Danita's been arrested. Danita tells us that she cried every night, not knowing where her child was. And, I mean, I completely never want to know what that feels like. More on-screen text says that Danita and her husband, Clint, fought a legal battle for custody of their children. And after nine months, the court ruled in their favor and the children were returned to their parents. Terry says, if CPS was dismissing this case after nine months and the kids were returned to them, why are we still here? Why is the DA continuing to prosecute? It doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make sense. They
1: obviously looked into this. They researched it. They investigated it. They did their work on their end, and they did not find all Ooh. these things to be true. Yeah. And they gave the kids back. So that should tell you there isn't a case. There isn't a case for this. Why, why
0: are we doing this? Mm-hmm. We're now three months to trial, and on-screen text tells us that ahead of the trial, the prosecution releases its evidence to the defense. As we all know, they have to share that information. Defense attorney Mike Ware is telling us that we're looking at the Facebook post that they had gathered as part of the investigation against Danita. Basically, they're trying to paint a picture of a parent who is 24-7 talking about a child's medically fragile condition. But why? Why is this a crime? Some more on-screen text says that the prosecution alleges Danita's Facebook activity may indicate that she is suffering from a mental illness known as Munchausen syndrome by proxy. They say that she fits the profile of somebody who enjoys the attention of having a medically compromised child and therefore exaggerates or fabricates the kid's symptoms. And this is just like the Gypsy Rolls case. A hundred percent like that. Now, Mike thinks that if they can label her with the syndrome, they think it will prove her as guilty in trying to kill him. Yep. Some more on-screen text tells us that Cook Children's Medical Center has a pediatrician considered one of America's leading experts on Munchausen syndrome by proxy. We get a little clip of the Dr. Oz show, and we meet Dr. Jamie Kaufman. She tells us that cases are sent to her office for review, and she gets about 5 to 10 of them a month from her position at the medical center. She says that usually only about one a month is, is ever actually reported, though. So they kind of look into it and decide, "Eh, this one looks sketchy. The rest of them, they may look that way, but they're not, right? And,
1: And this is specifically around Munchausen syndrome. Right. So these are just cases surrounding that.
0: Terry says that that's very interesting because there's a flood of Munchausen by proxy cases coming from Cook Children's Hospital to the Tarrant County DA's office. She says that when she got this case and researched it, she found it was actually really rare to get a conviction of Munchausen by proxy. She had really only found about two in the United States. And if this is so rare, why are so many of them coming from Tarrant County? She says that having this quote-unquote expert in court for all of these cases has now suddenly found five women convicted of Munchausen by proxy in that county. That's a lot. That is very strange Right?
1: How was that happening in that? I mean, small of an area. This is Texas. It's not Florida. Right? I'm just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it just goes to show she did a little bit more of her own research because she's like, that doesn't make any sense. Why is there so many cases just in that small
0: little area? Well, and when you're constantly looking for something, you're going to see it everywhere, right? Right. Exactly. We're now at trial
1: week one.
0: Danita is shaking
1: and her heart is racing like emotionally it's really really hard for her and this is the first time they get to tell their side of the story. Terry says that two little boys are at stake right now for not having their mom anymore and it's life-changing and it could potentially ruin her marriage, her freedom, her ability to see and raise her children depending on what the sentence is if she gets convicted. We get some on-screen text that says, as the alleged victim is a child, filming is not allowed in court. Sure. Danita says that she was being critiqued on everything when she was in the trial. The mm-hmm. way she looked, the way she would move, the way she would react, her emotions. Her blinking. People like to look at that as signs of guilt. Right. as The way that you're acting about something. We get some more on screen text that states during the first week, prosecution calls its medical witnesses. Four doctors and surgeons take the stand. Terry and Mike are recapping the week with Danita. Terry says that it's been crazy, but they were able to tear up the doctors. None of them got on the stand and called her a liar, nor did they say they relied on what she said in order to perform these, quote, unnecessary procedures. Perfect. This week went well, but that doesn't mean it will all go well next week for them. That's really the hard part is when the defense is stating their case and they're all kind of all eyes are locked on to Neda and all kind of these really harsh words and things kind of come out. Danita says that she feels like the week went well and feels like the truth is finally starting to come out. But again, it has been hard and she has taken blows, but she continues to be strong until the very end. We're now at trial week two with some on-screen text, The prosecution calls hospice owner Connie to the stand. She testifies over two days.
0: I wish we would have met fucking Connie. I know.
1: Her Her ass would have never shown up on this fucking documentary. What do you think she looks like? A Karen.
0: She's a Karen. <laughs> Yeah.
1: That's exactly what I thought of. Like short hair, bob, blonde. Yeah. You know, that's the, I can, that's what I'm picturing. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure we could have googled it and probably saw a picture of her. Okay, let me go. I'm googling right now. Okay. Okay, I couldn't find anything, but we can just pretend we know what she looks like. <laughs> Danita and her defense team go over the last few days again together. Terry thinks they did great with Connie on the stand, but they had one witness left, who was Dr. Jamie Kaufman, the Munchausen by proxy doctor, who Terry says is their, quote, clean-up lady. Okay, that's a horrible name. Like, are you really reliable? Are you truthful?
0: Like, why is she called the clean-up lady? Oh, I think she's the one that is supposed to wrap all of this up and all of the other testimony that is pointed to Facebook posts and all this stuff, she's supposed to look at it and be like, Yep, this this is all character Yep. Characteristics of somebody with this illness. Terry
1: thinks that she will be the one to bring the punches and apparently she claimed that she had gone through twelve thousand medical records and then looked at Danita's Facebook post and she found a discrepancy, which makes Danita a liar. And if she lies on Facebook, then she lied to her doctors, which would make her guilty. I'm like, what the fuck? What logic is that? Uh, 12,000 medical records? That's what I was blown away by. And, okay, people lie on Facebook and Instagram all the time.
0: All the time. Look at the filters. Look at the memes.
1: Like, honest to God. Right. How can you, how can you base that logic On the fact that she's guilty of starving her child because she lies on Facebook. The fuck? Right. It doesn't even make sense. It's so stupid. It is stupid. Danita goes on to say that all the information she put on Facebook was given to her by someone else. Again. So any type of communication she got from... Connie, a doctor, a nurse, whatever, she would give that information then and put it on Facebook. Sure. For supporters, followers of what's going on with Colby and, you know, people that are maybe trying to pray for him or whatever. Oh, yeah. We've all seen him. Yes. So I'm like, uh, I, I do believe that. I, I I do believe that Danita probably didn't know half the time.
0: No, she just regurgitated what, it really what she was told.
1: Yeah, exactly. So those lies, she might not have even known it was a lie if she was saying it. You know what I mean? Totally. Now, Terry says that Dr. Kaufman was able to find 29 instances where there were these discrepancies or lies on her Facebook posts. And Terry wants to look at the posts, find supporting medical records so they can support Anita's Facebook posts. So they basically have to go through all these records, find out where a doctor or someone told her this information, yep, and relay it to the post and say, hey, it wasn't me that was saying it. It right. was these doctors that I was just... Relaying the information back to all of my family and friends on Facebook. Right. We're now at trial week three. We get some on screen text that states the prosecution's final witness is pediatrician and Munchausen expert, Dr. Jamie Kaufman. She has never met Danita. Danita says that she thinks she only came in to accuse Danita of Munchausen by proxy and that she isn't a psychologist or a psychiatrist and her defense team did a good job of making sure the jury knew that. Yeah. I think that's key. Yeah. She didn't really have the credibility to be saying what she
0: was saying. Well, and she never fucking met her. Right. So it's not like she like sat down and like, you know, interviewed her and like came to this conclusion you know no no she is literally just looking at facebook posts Mm -hmm. i mean i could definitely diagnose hundreds (laughs) of people with mental illnesses based on their facebook posts
1: absolutely
0: absolutely on screen text tells us the defense calls 17 witnesses over five days Terry says that they did their best to tell Danita's story and they took an aggressive approach when it came to the witnesses that they called. I mean, they had to make sure everybody knew who it was they were actually going up against and Danita was not the person that they were trying to make her out to be. Right. She also feels truly that she doesn't believe that the prosecution even had a case for conviction. She says any further witnesses that they call will need to be strategically chosen at this part. Because we're at the end. Yep. So at this point, most people are probably making up their mind on the jury, right? Mark is insistent that Danita does not take the stand. And I don't disagree with him. It's never a good idea. We've it's talked about this a good idea. on
1: multiple different episodes so far. And it's just not a good idea. Because they're going to eat her alive. Yes. Like, you think that you can sound really intelligent and tell your story the correct way. But they will put words in your mouth and they will make you out to be guilty and you will look very guilty. Well, even
0: think about those people who do false confessions, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, don't do it. Same thing, right? (laughs) Just don't do it for your own good. Yeah. At this point, the defense rests and we get on-screen text that says the jury retires to consider its verdict. Terry says that there is no credible evidence that was found to convict Anita. But now she's worried. Because she should be found not guilty pretty fast. On-screen text tells us that the jury deliberates over the next three days. Now, the worst part of the whole process, Terry explains, is, of course, waiting for a verdict. And we all know that if it's like a, a murder, if it comes back quickly, generally that means that this person is guilty. Right. But if it leads on more than a day, let's say... That's when we're like, okay, some people in that room don't believe he's guilty. Right. Because now there's, there's, there's the a, back and forth. Right, right. She says that she's now worried that this jury isn't sophisticated enough to figure it all out. And now they have to face the what if. What if they come back with a guilty verdict? What are we going to do next? Danita believes that she is only guilty of picking up her son that day from the Ronald McDonald house. And if given the option again, she'd do it. She'd pick him up. Yeah. She didn't believe he needed to be there. And she doesn't think that she's wrong for doing that. And, and I agree with her. She probably had her motherly instinct that right. you need to do
1: testing and observation on her son for three days alone. Yeah. And we can't be here. Yeah.
0: Why? Sketch. What are you doing that we can't know about and or see? It's very, very strange. Yeah. Well, and how often, too, in a Munchausen by proxy situation is, so usually it's like the parent, right? So- how often is it where the entire family is in on it? Right. Doesn't happen. No, doesn't happen. On screen text tells us that on the fourth day of deliberation, the jury reaches a verdict. We see a TV news report stating that a mother from Cleburne has been found guilty of starvation and attempted murder. Terry finds this unbelievable. She can't believe that she was found guilty. She says that she was found guilty of counts three and four of the indictment being starvation and attempted murder. She was not found guilty of counts one and two, which were the fabricated symptoms that were told to doctors leading them to perform these unnecessary surgeries. Those lies. This is where we meet Clint, Danita's husband. He says that he felt sick and wanted to cry upon hearing the guilty verdict and his heart went out to his wife. That's all he says. Mm Mm-hmm. Very brief. Defense attorney Mike says that she will basically be in solitary confinement for her own protection. Again, because she's been alleged offense against a child. And yeah. we all know how that goes down in a prison setting. It's not taken very well by people in prison. No, it's not. On-screen text says that Danita was sentenced to five years in prison. One week after the verdict... We get to hear a little bit of a phone call from Danita to her parents and her defense team. And she's asking them to promise to take care of Clint and the boys to give them, quote, lots and lots of hugs because it's not the same as mommy hugs. So you have to give them lots. It was really, really sad. I mean,
1: watching her dad, like, choke back tears when he's trying to, like, be strong for her. Right. And say, you know, we'll we'll, we'll figure, figure it, it out. I promise. We'll do what we need to do yep. on our side. But you stay strong. You know, oh, my God. I could not imagine that. Solitary confinement. Scary. I. It is. Yeah. That is terrifying. Yeah. To not be able to, like,
0: converse with people. You're by yourself in your thoughts. And oh, my God. No. Terry comes back on once more to say that, again, she believes there was a terrible mistake made by the jury that day. She says that this isn't just going to harm and punish Danita, but it's ripping her entire family apart. For sure. And the documentary closes out with a home video of Danita on the day that baby Colby was born. And you can just see her tired, lit up, saying, look at my precious boy. Mm -hmm. And that's how it ends.
1: This was one of those that I I did go back and forth on
0: a little bit. But then
1: when they started talking about Connie, she looked super sketchy to me. I feel like Connie was out to protect Connie. Yes, 100%. I feel like she knew she made some missteps. Yep. And she did not want something coming her way legally. Mm -hmm. So she decided to go after her before. Yep. Now, do I think that the Tut family would have even sought after criminal charges against Connie for whatever reason? I don't think
0: they would have. Yeah, I don't think they would have either. So it's just really, really sad. Yeah, I think Connie didn't want to be told how to do her job. Totally. And to have somebody question her authority. Exactly.
1: Thanks so much for listening to this week's episode of Sheer Crime. Next, we will be diving into another episode from the A&E series, The Killer Speaks, on Robert Lopez, a repeat offender who goes on to kill his girlfriend, Brandy. You won't want to miss it. Feel free to follow us on our multiple social media accounts, our Facebook group, Sheer Crime Podcast Discussion Group. We are on Instagram at Sheer underscore crime underscore podcast, Twitter at Sheer Crime Pod, and TikTok at Sheer Crime Podcast. Any and all comments or episode requests can be sent to our personal email inbox, requests at Podcast.com. We love you all and hope you have a wonderful Thanksgiving holiday. Stay safe, stay sane, and remember, never run with scissors. Bye, guys. Bye.